Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that harkens back to the days of order checks, write checks, and balance checkbook. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you pre-recorded. Yep, a couple weeks early. Yep, sorry, still traveling. Uh, but I must remind you that you must be of legal smoking age to uh, listen to this show uh, wherever you're listening to it. So, uh, yeah, if you're uh, if you're not able to uh, buy tobacco where you are listening to it, then you can't listen. So turn it off. I'll wait. Okay. Uh, in tonight's show, in pipe parts, I'm going to uh, I've actually smoked all these uh, possible McClellan 5100 replacements. So we'll talk through that. Uh, my guest is Keith Moore, and Keith was on the show a while back, and we brought Keith back on. He's got a new album coming that's come out already, and, uh, you know, he was uh, he was close to a lot of the Danish pipe makers, so we talked to him about more of uh, a deep dive into the Danish pipe makers. And then mailbag, one email that I'm going to answer. It's a big one, but one email. And I've got uh, some other questions that I'm going to answer in the mailbag that might be of interest to those that have listened to all 200 and whatever shows. Um, And then a taxation rant, all that coming up at the end of the show. So remember, uh, if you want to see what I'm up to, I've uh, posted some stuff on uh, Facebook. So follow me there. You can also follow the Pipes Magazine radio show on Facebook. And... uh, yeah, there you go. So I hope everybody's having a very good March. April is right around the corner, so here comes the spring. So everybody, thank you for tuning in. Sit back, relax, fire up a bowl, and here we go. All right, so a couple of things happened when I was smoking through all these uh, the, these four substitutes or four potential replacements for McClellan 5100. Um, thing number one, I smoked some 5100 that is about, uh, I bought it about two months ago. I smoked some of that, and let me tell you, I forgot how much I really just don't, I just don't get it, all right? 5100 itself has a little bit of sweetness to me, a little bit of that uh, ketchupy, vinegary taste to it, but it's really got nothing much else to it. It really, to me, is like the, uh, it's like the cake. It's the it's the cake part of a cake, and it's what you put icing on to get flavor. All right. Um, the other thing that I realized also is the only time I smoke a straight Virginia is during the heat of the summer when it's humid here at home. All right. That's the only time. And I'll, and I'll smoke maybe a bowl or two. So I took out the pipe that I primarily smoke the, uh, my breakfast red ribbon or red Virginia's in or Virginia's in. And I started smoking through all this stuff. And again, I've got two from Cornell and Deal. It's Red Virginia Cavendish and Red Virginia Ribbon. And two from Sutliff. They're Red Ribbon and then they're what they're calling 515RC, which is their variation of McClellan's Red Cake. And, you know, it was kind of painful. Um, I burnt my tongue. I dealt with tongue bite. I smoked a couple of bowls of each. I even tried switching up the pipe to see what it was and again go back and listen to two weeks ago where i talked about each blend kind of individually well now i'm going to make it straight and succinct for you Uh, none of these are exactly mcclellan's 5100 the one that i actually enjoyed smoking the most by itself was the cornell and deal red virginia cavendish I actually enjoyed smoking that once I figured out how to pack it because of the because of the moisture, the low moisture level of it and finding the right pipe for it and all that. Um, that's the one I enjoyed personally smoking the most of. Uh, then on the other side, 
the one that I think is actually closest to replacing 5100 is actually the Sutliff, uh, whatever they're calling it, 515RC. It's got that little bit of a vinegary, little bit of a ketchupy hint to it. My suggestion would be if you're looking to replace 5100 and you want to smoke it straight, try that, but dry it down. It's it, it, it arrives too wet. All right. It arrives too wet and it's got some glycerin on it. So what I would suggest doing is taking it and pressing it in a paper towel and try to get some of that glycerin out and then let it dry down to where it's almost crispy. And again, it needs it needs some age. All right, it doesn't quite have the age that the uh, that the fifty one hundred from McClellan has on it, so it's got that disadvantage. But you give it some age, and it will be it it'll work for you. All right, and I think if you really wanted to dry it down, put it in some glass jars with uh, you know with a little bit of air in there because you want that air to do its thing and leave it in there for about two years, I think it would be a good blend by itself. Um, the Cornell and Deal Red Virginia Cavendish, again, I enjoyed it most the way it is, but it's not similar enough to 5100 to say that it could replace it. However, for those of you that were blending with 5100 and doing, you know, doing your own home blends, I think that Red Virginia Cavendish may be a really good base blend that will automatically cool down everything else, automatically give a little bit of sweetness to everything else, and make everything else around it just kind of smoke better. I didn't detect that with any of the other blends that I smoked. All right, I I just didn't. I I could I wasn't imagining it working with some with some Orientals or Periques or maybe a mix of. 50 percent uh you know 50% red virginia and 40% burley and 10% oriental or 10% perique uh that again that cornell and deal red virginia cavendish i got a feeling that it will it'll do really well as a base part of any blend and it will help enhance the other flavors uh neither of the sutliff blends you know, I thought again they've they've still got too much youth and too much moisture on them to really work well with other stuff. I would be interested to take that uh, to take that Sutliff 515 and again dry it down, put it in a jar, maybe sprinkle in my case about 15% perique in it, and let it sit for two years and see what it does. I think that would be a good mix. But for those of you that are blending with 5100 and using that as the base blend, uh, I'm going to point you towards the Cornell and Deal Red Virginia Cavendish. Uh, that was the one that stood out to me. And, of course, you know, that's my opinion, and I am the leading expert on my opinion, and you know what opinions are like. So there you go. Um, if any of you have played around with any other tobacco blends, please let me know, or any other tobacco replacements for 5100, please let us know. Uh, you know, and again, we're, we can go back to last week or the week before that. Yeah, nothing's going to exactly match 5100, but hey, these are uh, these are what I think are, you know, I think it's a decent shot. All right, in just a minute, Keith Moore. This is Internet Radio. Meet Josh. Everyone at SmokingPipes.com holds customers as a high priority, but nobody interacts with them more personally than Josh. He's our professor of pipes, if you will. As a previous professor of history, educating the customer comes easily to him. He loves explaining the history of a particular pipe to a customer or coaching his customer service team. I love to help customers find that perfect piece for their collection. It's my job to make sure there's a smile on the other end of the line, and I'm more than happy to be the one to put it there. And although Josh's job can sometimes be quite demanding, he doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why? Because I don't just sell pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345. That's 1-888-366-0345. Or check us out online at smokingpipes.com. We are quality. We are experts. We are smokingpipes.com. 
Welcome back to the Pipes Magazine radio show and uh, joining us actually by Skype so I can see you, which is really cool for me to be able to yeah. see people now with all this new technology here, uh, is uh, Keith Moore. And uh, for those that don't remember, Keith was on about two and a half years ago and Keith goes back to the uh, the pipe department at uh, Uptowns back in the late 90s. And uh, just had a, a, you know, go back and listen. I think it was show number 162, if you forget. But, Keith, welcome back to the show, and thanks for coming back on. Great. Great great to be with you, Brian. Awesome. So you're you're still in uh, Mississippi, still doing music, still uh, uh, still the still the artist? Well, I mean, I'm still in Oxford. Uh, we've been here for 17 years, and, uh, yeah, we, Jeff and I, the Wineskins, uh, we have an album that just came out uh, called Shut Me Up Sundance, uh, the Wineskins. And, yeah, that's what I've been doing. I've been working on that with uh, Jeff for the last uh, three years and um, doing that and some other things. I drove an 18-wheeler for uh, about 15 months uh, around the country. <laughs> it was an amazing experience, you know. So, yeah, I've been doing a lot of stuff, so. Yeah, I mean, so the reason I wanted to have you back on is because when you were on, we asked if, you know, if we want to go a little deeper dive into some of those early days of uh, of the Uptown's pipe department and uh, importing of all those Great Danes. And, in fact, you did the video called The Great Danes. Uh, yeah. And, you know what, we, you know, we, we recently lost Lars. Um, yeah. You know, so it's more important now than ever to get these stories on, you know, on the show and get them put down in memory. Uh, just were you involved in that first Uptowns or Nashville pipe show in 97 or 98? Yeah, I started working at Uptowns uh, under Bob Shankle in 92 or 3, I think, or I think it was somewhere in there. And, uh, one day, Phil Keggy walked in, and I was uh, Bob had put me in charge, kind of the pipes stuff, and there locally, and I'd build a rolodex of all the kind of pipe smokers, uh, you know, for about three or four months. And one day, Phil Keggy, a friend of mine, a great guitarist, a great songwriter, um, came in, and he had a pipe in his mouth, and it, and I just was like, "Wow, where'd you get that pipe? That's beautiful." And it was a Julius Vest pipe, and. He told me about meeting Mr. Bez up in uh, um, Toronto, and and so I called Mr. Bez, blah 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 blah. You know, uh, we we talked about you know he'd been burned by American uh, retail shops, and he he was very reluctant. But I, I talked to him, and he finally you know so that from there, then pipes and tobacco did a story about it, and it, we sold. I mean, hundreds of Julius Vest pipes. And that led to me meeting uh, Yes Konovitz, uh, And that led to me meeting Pierre and Ulf with Usbong. And that led to meeting Bo Nord. And that led to meeting Lars Everson. And, uh, you know, I haven't uh, been able to talk about it, you know, but, um, uh, you know, with pipe people, I've spoken with... Uh, you know, with Nana, and, uh, but anyway, uh, Lars, I loved him so much, and, you know, I mean, I didn't, you know, I got to know him a little bit from doing what we did, you know, me promoting his pipes, and introducing all those guys to America through the Uptowns thing, and, and uh, it was, you know, I mean, nobody knew about any of them before that in America. I mean, a few people did. Rick yeah. Newcomb did, of course. Rick is the one that introduced uh, Yes and Me at the Chicago Pipe Show. I think it was 1994. And uh, everything just changed from that point. Everything in the whole pipe world changed from that moment on. And, uh, you know, uh, but Lars, uh, if I could just say something. Yeah, please. Uh, for Lars. But um, I remember... Uh, I have pictures, you know, of uh, me sitting with him and his dogs. He had an Airstream trailer out there in the back, uh, <laughs> close to the fjord, uh, that that his guests would stay in, and it was uh, it was, it was just incredible. I mean, just being there with him and him bringing out that beer that was like a two board uh, special harvest beer that was, you know, it was like 
eleven percent alcohol. You know, it's just like <laughs> it was, but it tasted amazing. And being there in that fjord and with the sitting there with this Viking, you know, Lars is like a he was like a Floki like yeah. Viking. Uh, he was like the mystical one. He was the shaman of the whole of of yes and Pierre and Ulf and Bo. Lars was the shaman. He was the, the spiritual guide. You know, uh, yes was the the guide of all things practical and realistic and 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 aesthetically beautiful. Uh, you know, Pierre and Ulf were these dreamers of of color and shape that nobody ever thought of. You know. Bo, of course, was Van Gogh of all of it. You know, he was the impressionist of a ballet slipper, you know, just a genius. Uh, you know, the Japanese collected his works by, you know, hanging them next to Van Gogh paintings in, in their, in their, in, in Kyoko, you know, Japan. I mean, you know, these guys were, wow. they were, there was something different about them. And Lars was the spiritual. He was the shaman, you know, of the whole thing. And, and I, when he, when I heard he died, I literally, it was like, you know, last week and I, or a couple of weeks ago, I think now, or, um, but I remember, um, I woke up and I, it's like four in the morning and my phone, uh, my iPhone blinked or something. And I, I saw it and I opened it up and it was, it was, uh, Steve Morissette had put on there that Lars, it passed away, and I, I was just, I, 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 I didn't even know he was ill. I didn't, yeah. and it just blew my mind that that gentle soul is gone, you know. And um, so, anyway, that's what I wanted to say. So, what was it like when you met Yes the first time? Um. It was uh, in Chicago. It was my first pipe show to go to. Oh, boy. And um, Rick Newcomb, uh, really, none of this would have happened without Rick, really. I mean, I mean, if I give credit where credit's due, I mean, I mean, Rick introduced Yes and I, because Rick and I talked before the show, and and he saw what I was doing with Vez. That's what drew him to what was happening at Uptowns was uh, – what was happening with Vez. I mean, I was selling just locally, I was selling 30, 40 pipes a month, you know? Wow. Um, and it, it, there wasn't even a toll free number at that point. There was no <laughs> nationwide pipe, you know, uh, uh, you know, whatever, you know, yeah. pipe, uh, uh, circuit, you know, there was nothing like that. There was nothing, nothing, you know, it's just, you know, just local people selling pipes and, 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 um, but yeah, I mean, it's like if it wasn't for Julius, if it wasn't for that and Rick uh, seeing that in Pipes and Tobacco magazine, that I think it was Rick. I mean, uh, that was uh, from Pipes and Tobacco. Um, but yeah, Chuck. Chuck is just Chuck is like one of the greatest guys ever, you know. Anyway, so he came and did that thing about it, and that led to Rick. When I got to Chicago, Rick looked me up, introduced me to Yes and Bonnie, and it wasn't just Yes I met. It was Yes and, and Bonnie. Bonnie. There was no way to meet Yes without knowing Bonnie. <laughs> you know, uh, there was no Yes without Bonnie. And I just fell in love with him. I mean, just immediately, I just, you know, you know, I just loved him. I loved him. I just I felt like we were uh, friends, you know. And, uh, and so he invited me to Denmark. And so I talked to Bill and people at Uptowns into doing it. And, uh, you know, we, we went to Denmark and uh, I did by myself with a I was a one man crew. You know, I had <laughs> lighting, I had lighting and sound. And, you know, I was doing these videos of all these guys and all by myself. You know, I mean, Ben Pearson, I want to say a, a great shout to Ben Pearson from Nashville, Tennessee. Ben was the one that uh, taught me how to do it. You know, he showed me how to, like, set it up and gave me the equipment to use and you know all he wanted was a pipe you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he got it and uh so when i think about meeting yes and then yes introducing me to when i went over there to to Pierendolf and and then we went across we went across the uh we got on the uh the boat 
you know, the ferry and went across to Malmo to Sweden. And we, we went to, to Bo's house. I'll never forget that, man. The, the first time I met Bo was like just psychedelic. He was just, he had the blues blaring in his house <laughs> and he had like, he was just, he was a free spirit, you know. Bo was just, and, but as soon as we walked in, he immediately started saying to yes, asking yes questions about his pipes. Like Bo wanted to know what yes thought about wow. what he was, you know, you know, it was so beautiful. It was like these guys loved each other's work so much that they, there was no envy. There was no jealousy. There was no, there was, no, there was none of that. It was just like this excitement, you know, remember, I'll never forget that, you know, just that whole thing of Bo being excited by showing yes, what he was doing, you know, and yes, being so enthralled with what Bo was doing, you know, it's just beautiful. You know, it's like, that's, that's the way it ought to be, you know. Do you think, did those guys, do you think, did they, did they talk technique with each other? Did they, yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. man. They talked everything. I mean, I'm not sure that, I I mean, pure and dual for a little more, uh, you know, they'll talk about stuff, you know, but they're not quite as emotionally involved. It's like say, uh, yes. And Bo, you know, were, and Lars was of course this gentle spirit that just hovered around the whole freaking thing of what that was i mean it was always like lars was just there he was there he was like johnny cash he was like i mean i always heard people say when johnny cash walked in a room everybody looked up you know like somebody just walked in the room you know i mean that's how lars was you know but but yes and Bo were just so passionately emotional about it and all of them had their own thing about it but they all had this great respect and and love for one another it was really strong. It was really cool. You know, that's a perfect place for us to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, more Danish pipes and uh, maybe some pipe show memories and uh, travel memories. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show visiting with Keith Moore. And, uh, all right, Keith, so you, you described going into Bo's, I mean, you were in Bo Nord's house. What, what kind of, what kind of art did he have on the walls? What was, where was he getting his inspiration for his shapes from? Oh, wow. Oh, I mean, I, you know, the blues, you know, the blues. I mean, he yeah. loved the blues. He loved soul music and the blues. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, I, was, I went to his house a few times, not just one. I mean, the one time we went there and, and man, he, he had uh, his vinyl, he has turntables uh, set up and he played incredible Mississippi Hill Country blues music for like two hours. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> He, he just, he just, you know, anybody who knows the Danes and, and, and folks from Sweden or Iceland or, or Norway or Finland or any of those areas, they love American blues. It's like, yeah. it's like they know more about it than we do. And I'm from Mississippi. They know more than I do easily. And, and Bo, I think, I think Bo got his influences from women, from, from the curve of a, of a woman's body. Um, I think he got his influences from art, from, uh, you know, 
a lot of I think there's a lot of Scandinavian I think Skagen I think influenced his work. I mean maybe it's just my opinion. Yeah. I never told that. Um, but um, I, I I think that Bo he loved the blues. He loved um, you know this this liberty this freedom that it represented to him. You know, and um, I remember his house. I remember just it being this warm, warm, comfortable wood everywhere, wood <laughs> library, wood, and just, you know, old wood furniture from the 70s. It was very just warm and carpet and just it just had a it just had this wonderful, welcoming vibe to it. And his workshop was it was like all these boards he hung up and and. uh it was just like, you know, just, it was like a cave. It was like a place where he could create, you know, and not be bothered by anything. And, and he hung, he had, he had, he did have, if I recall, he did have like things hung up in front of him, like pictures of, uh, like, uh, I think it was like women. It was, uh, it was all kind of different, like, things that he had hung up in front of him on his desk, you know, but I don't want to go into detail because I don't want to lie. I don't want to say, because yeah. I, I just remember it being something like, you know, really uh, like kind of tantalizing, you know, whatever, but he, um, I don't know, man, the guy was just so into it. He was so, it, it meant so much to him to make something beautiful and, and something that was, uh, but when yes liked something, it meant a lot to him that yes got what he was trying to do. Like I, I, I you know, because they would speak German to each other. Of course, I don't know <laughs> Danish, I don't know Swedish, and I sure as hell don't know German. German. I don't know anything. <laughs> and so they would, but when they were together, they would speak German to each other because I guess Swedish and Danish is so different, or you know. And I could tell when Bo would be talking to him. And he would show yes something, and yes would respond. And I remember Bo just being like, "Ah, oh, yeah, like okay, yeah, I've got this. I know what I, you know." It's like they just had this great, you know, thing between each other. And um, there was never this animosity that a lot of people try to build up. I think between these greats, they were they were so great that they didn't it didn't bother each other. That it didn't bother them about the other person. They were these guys, Lars, Pierre, Ulf. Um, Yes, and Bo, they were just, it was like Mozart, Beethoven, Handel, and Chopin, and, and, you know, it's like, it's like, well, you know, you don't really, there's no reason to make a fight here, there's no, <laughs> or, you know, it's just so beautiful how it, how it worked, and they all loved each other, they really did, they, it wasn't just an admiration about pipe making, they liked each other personally, they, 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 they really, they dug being around each other. You know, it's, it's people and, wow, you know, so it's, so kind, of, it's, really, it, it's, it's kind of like artists when you go into a little blues club and there's just instruments there and they were all appreciating each other's work and what they were doing and not trying that, to one up each other. Exactly, man. Yeah. It was, it was completely just joy, you know, and, and in creating and, you know, I did the whole, uh, I entered the, uh, D uh, Danish pipe contest one year when I was there. And uh, because a magazine, a Danish magazine wanted to come write about, you know, America's love for pipes and growing love for pipes, you know, that kind of thing. And and it was like, you know, all, I mean, there was all these pipe makers there because, it, you know, it's a big deal in, in, in Denmark. A pipe, the, the pipe smoking contest is a big deal there. It's not I mean, it's like a I mean, it's lots of people. You know, yeah. entering and also a lot of people just hanging around watching it. And it was so funny because, like, you know, Lars and Ulf and Pierre and Yes and, and not Bo, Bo couldn't make it, but but like uh, uh, Former and Teddy Knudsen and you know, all these carvers, all these different <laughs> people, you know, it was like the who's who of pipe makers. I mean, it was just, you know, I mean, I'm sitting there looking at this thinking, I'll never see this again, probably. You know, all these. You know, geniuses in one place, you know, it's crazy, yeah. beautiful. Can you give us a little history on the, on the S-Bang brand or company? Well, I'll tell you what I know. 
and I'm sure there's guys out there who'll hear this who'll go, well, he got that wrong, or he got that wrong. <laughs> I just say basically this is what I think. Uh, there was a man named S. Bong, uh, Sven Bong, that started a pipe. He he, he kind of had in mind, from what I gather from Ulf and Pierre, and this is my take on it, and Pierre and Ulf, if you hear this, please correct me, but I, he was a great man that, that had a great vision like, um, uh, what's his name, the other uh, great Danish carver that everybody, uh, the freehand guy. Um, Preben Holm. Yeah, Previn, and so he had the same vision, and and Ulf and Peer were students and young men that when they started working for this man, Esbong, and they, uh, things happened over time, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Peer and Ulf became so, like, beyond anything that had happened with Esbong before, I think. And but they wanted to honor the man because they respected him so much, and that he gave them a chance to be pipe makers, and so uh, that's why they carried on the name. I think now, if I'm wrong, I mean, please, you know, c- correct me, Pirandolf or whoever. But that's kind of how I've how I've always uh, envisioned what they've told me and how I've seen it from what they've said in the past. You know, um, so there was a man named Sven Bong that was a pipe maker, you know, uh, but really pure and for the ones who have turned it have, over the years have turned it into this, you know, I mean, they're geniuses. I mean, that, you know, I mean, everything about their pipes is perfect. I mean, the, everything, I mean, they're, they try to, I mean, think about it. If you're sitting there, if you're Paul McCartney and you're John Lennon and you're both sitting there trying to outdo the other, yeah. that's what you're both. I mean, that's what John and Paul are did. They always tried to, that's what Pierre and Dolph do. They're just, they're, and they love each other to death. They're family, they're friends, and they're, they've grown up together, you know. But that that's such a cool, that's been such a cool thing that people are, you know, it's not going to be around much longer, you know, so. And, and these guys have continued to get better and better over the years, and it's probably because they get to work with each other. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else. Lars, Lars always said, stuff like that you never you'll never ever be this great you'll never be a great anything but striving for great is that's the that's what that's what matters and so the humility that Lars even though he knew I think Lars knew that he did something different than his father and that's huge I mean, think about that. Think about if you're Jacob Dylan, you're Bob Dylan's son, and you're trying to do something on your own. And it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. But here's Sixton Everson, who was this master carver that, yes, kind of it's just looked up to, and he looked up to his father. And here's Lars growing up in the shadow of that, and yet he finds a way to become his own, his own thing, his own expression. To me, that's, that's the story of yes. That's the story of Wolf and Pierre. That's the story of, of all these guys. They, they found a way to see nature or to see something that would, where they could create something different that was beautiful and functional and the attention was always into in the detail. Always, it was always in the, how the pipe fills in your mouth, how the the hole is 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 is, is drilled. Uh, all these things is so it's so in their in their thinking. It's it's so you know it's like writing a song. It's like it's like you know you you know what the craft is you know, but the spirit has to make it something special. And that's what those all those guys had. Something happened when they made a pipe that was different and it was a spiritual thing and it was a, a mystical thing. It was a beautiful thing on top of their amazing dedication to craft craftsmanship. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a combination, you know, and they, and, and I, and I think a lot of it goes with that, what you said earlier about the Scandinavian, uh, the, the Scandinavian aesthetic of not only must it be, 
functional, it must be functional for life and it must look perfect. Yeah, there, there's, yeah, you're, and you're always striving to do it better and better. Well, you know, a great story about Lars is we were, we were walking by on, along the fjord where he lived. Did you ever get to go there? Did no, you ever see it? no. Well, it's like, I mean, you know, I mean, if you close your eyes, you could see a Viking ship pulling in, you know, yeah. kind of thing. It was just that, that was the, the vibe of the place. And one day, one afternoon, he and I went walking where he likes to walk with his dogs. And uh, we walked along the fjord. And it was, you know, cold, and misty, and beautiful, and crisp air. You know, it's probably like 50 to 52 degrees or something, you know. And just, you know, just magical. We're walking along, and he looks over, and he sees a, a, a tree that had fallen, of course, like maybe who knows, maybe a hundred years ago. And, and next and lying next to that stump was this little twig. And he said, there's a pipe. And he said, that's a pipe. <laughs> you know, like he saw when he saw that he saw a pipe. He saw like how he could take that and turn it into something that someone could smoke and enjoy that twig, that, that tulip, you know, that, that laying there, you know? Yeah. And, and that's that was Lars, you know. I mean, he, like I said at the beginning of this, he was the you know the shaman of the uh, of the group. Now we've got about uh, five or six minutes left, but you know you're you're not on the you're not at the Uptown's pipe department anymore. You're not in the business. Uh, talked a couple weeks back about how Lars and Yes and Bo have pretty much affected every pipe maker that's on the market right now whether it be from the uh, from the guys going over to spend a week with them in their workshop and even Tom Eltang will have pipe makers come over and spend time in the workshop with them um, but you talk about like jo like Jody Davis and and Jeff Grasick who have now trained other pipe makers and you, you see the trickle down. Um, I'm just wondering just from, just from your opinion, what, you know, which pipe makers out there do you find your eye being drawn to and, you know, the stuff that you see floating around on the internet? Well, all I can do is say what I see floating around on Instagram, on you know, Facebook, um, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not able to judge anymore, in, like in the big picture, because I'm not involved in the shows. I'm not involved in all the, I mean, I couldn't tell you who anybody is really right now, other than, you know, like Grant Batson or, or Jody Davis or, you know, Jeff Grasick. Uh, um, I mean, I hate, I hate even saying any names because I don't want to leave somebody out. There's so many, you know, I still love Jim Cook. I mean, you know, the guys. <laughs> You know, just gen he's a genius, really. I mean, he was doing what he was doing before any before I uh, ever introduced anybody in the whole world to the Danes. I mean, Jim is Jim is like you know he's like a he's like Bigfoot. You know, he's like <laughs> he's out there, man. He's out there. I'm promise you. Don't worry, he's out there. He's a mad genius, Sasquatch. Yeah, he is. You know, but anyway, I. My, my favorite pipe carver right now, I guess, if I had to say I have a favorite, which I I don't like saying that. I mean, because I'm not, I'm like I say, I'm not that I'm not that much of a uh, of a follower about it anymore. But, um, you know, Jody is Jody. Uh, let, let me let me say something about Grant first. Let me say Grant Batson to me is like he's a wild man. He's a wild man pipe maker. He's like a, he's so good at, at detail. He's so good at stem work. He's so good at all the, the, the basic things that really made Lars and Ulf and Pierre and all those guys who they are. It's like Grant is like Jody. He's like, you know, uh, Mark, uh, um, you know, it's like, he's like these guys that are like, just they're eat up with it being just, perfect in every way you know but then they don't let that control 
how they create symmetry with it and elegant lines and I mean, some of Grant's stuff looks like something you'd find walking around in the woods, like large. You know? <laughs> you'd find, like, some of his stuff looks like a, I don't know, you know, it's like, I don't know how to describe it, you know, but I like it. It's something about it's like, you know. And like I'm sitting here right now smoking a, 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 a cutty that he made, you know, uh, a tan blast, you know, thing. I've, I've smoked it like for 10 days in a row. I can't stop for some reason. You know, it's like all of a sudden I picked it up and I can't put it down. But like, you know, Jody, um, Jeff, um, I think these guys are great. I think they're, they're doing what they want to do, you know, and, and they all get along with each other. And I think they're a lot like the Danes, you know, they're there. There's not this bickering and bullshit, you know, going on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's healthy. I mean, you know, these guys are making beautiful pipes, man. They're, 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 they're getting their, they're getting their briar from Mimo and they're, they're following, they're following the trend. They're following the, the good, the good wisdom that came before them. And, and they're doing that and they're trying to be true to that, you know, and I think it's a beautiful thing in, in, in most of the ones I've seen, you know, and I don't judge anybody about it, but I do think it's a good thing that they're carrying on the, the attention to detail. I mean, uh, I'll never forget. I was sitting with Yes one day in his workshop, and he he was making a stem. And he said that no matter how many pipes he makes, the most important thing he makes is the stem. Wow. Because it's what touches the customer more than anything else. It's It's the... It's, it's the comfort. And I never had a yes pipe break on me. I never had a stem break. I never I never chewed through one. I chew through all my other pipes. I mean, <laughs> I, have a, I have like this tooth, you know, like something here that's like, it, it, it's like a Dracula tooth or whatever. But I have to be very careful with all my, you know, but I've never done it through a yes pipe. I don't know what it is, but this, but his pipes are some of the most, it's the most comfortable pipes you ever put in your mouth, you know. And, um, uh, so, you know, I guess, Brian, the best thing I could say to anybody who gives a shit about what I think is it's a good thing what's happening in the pipe world. It's good that everyone's trying to, to be be better and be and, and make a pipe that's really, really functional and beautiful. And but I think that that everybody uh, who makes a pipe or smokes a pipe, they should all take a moment of pause and think about Lars Everson, Bo Nord. Wolf, you know, Nolsmeyer, Pure Hansen, and uh, Yes Konovitz. Because I know that for me personally, there wouldn't be a pipe movement in America without those guys. It just wouldn't have happened. <laughs> it wasn't even on the horizon before, before America started discovering these people. And Jim Cook was doing it. He was making great pipes before, but... But nobody else was doing what these guys were doing, and it had a it's it's had a huge impact on everybody's lives. You know, it's been it's been a good thing, I think. So, well, let's switch to uh, music and tell us tell us a little bit about the new album. All right, hey, the new album is called "Shut Me Up Sundance." Um, Jeff and I, uh, Jeff Gordon, is the guy I've been writing with for since 1993, uh, 92. We've been writing together. He's from Greenville, Mississippi. I'm from uh, Meridian, Mississippi, and we met in Nashville in 86, and we, uh, or maybe it was after that, but anyway, we met, and we became really close friends, and we started writing music together. We've been doing it ever since, and so, anyway, uh, life does things and changes, and we got to a point where we put this record together. It's our second one, and uh, it's going to come out, uh, well, actually, it's out now, and it's on... Uh, www.wineskinsmusic.com or www.thewineskinsmusic.com either one and you can uh, find a way to buy the uh, a CD there it will be available on vinyl probably in a couple of months um, oh cool yeah it will be but right now it'll be on it's on CD and so you can go to our website and order it and um, and it's also digitally available on you know, 
wherever you buy digital. It's it's there. So, uh, but it's called Shut Me Up Sundance, The Wineskins, and um, it's it's a lot of cool songs about um, about the life that we grew up living uh, in Mississippi, and also the life we live now and the things we go through and. I write the lyrics, and Jeff writes the music, and uh, we've got this incredible band of guys around us that played on this, and uh, uh, the guy that, uh, one, one of the guys that produced it also works with the Black Keys, and uh, he brought an amazing, uh, just amazing wealth of knowledge and, and vibe to everything we did, so it was very cool. Uh, so, yeah. Well, we're going to get to hear a track of that in just a few minutes, but... Keith, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for telling your your personal stories and your feelings about these uh, about these guys. It's um, yeah. It, again, it's it's important to get these recorded for uh, uh, all these young guys, all these young guys out here to hear it and uh, and and listen to them. Well, hey man, thank you for inviting me on. I love doing it. It's fun, and uh, you know, hey, anytime, brother, anytime. Thank you. We'll be back in just a minute. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Periques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And, you know, I after listening to that again, I realize how much I miss talking to Keith and yeah, miss some of the, uh, I mean, just a great passion for Pipes and for the artisans. Uh, just a wonderful guy. Anyway, uh, the song for tonight is from Keith's new album, The Wineskins, and it's the album is called Shut Me, Shut Me Up Sundance, and this is the title track. Maybe 
I can tell you I have heard the entire album each track twice maybe three times on a couple of them and I'm thoroughly enjoying it so uh, go check them out go pick up your own copy you've got mail you've got mail you've got mail two things for you in the mailbag both of heavy interest to regular listeners of the show and uh, probably the last i will talk about the uh, about the mcclellan stuff so here comes an email that i got from matthew and matthew writes brian i've enjoyed listening to the podcast for a while now and i've been jumping back and forth between old and new episodes like everyone, I was saddened to hear about the end of McClellan. I was glad to hear the couple of comments you've made about other manufacturers' supplies of Virginia not being impacted. However, I can't help but be disturbed to hear any domestic manufacturer say that they can't get a sufficient supply of domestic tobacco. So, I thought I'd be the umpteenth one to send you an email about it. And then he goes on to say... I know pretty much nothing about the way the supply chain between grower and pipe tobacco manufacturer currently works. And he says there's a show idea. So here's the, yeah, he gave me an idea, so here it comes. Uh, he goes on to write, but I do know a little something about flu-cured production and current marketing practices. I've heard some comments made recently about the end-of-price supports and about cigarette companies buying up the better leaf, and I wonder if it's worth talking a little bit about how things currently work. Up until 15 or 20 years ago, pretty much all domestic tobacco was sold at auction, and a base price was set by grade, below which the stabilization co-op would buy a leaf for later resale. That all went away for a variety of reasons, and now practically all leaf is grown under contract. There are still auctions, but they are a small fraction of the market, and I don't think many growers grow with the auction as their main outlet. The auctions end up being where farmers sell leaf that's in excess of what they can sell on their contract. So, whereas all the leaf used to be available for leaf brokers to buy alongside cigarette manufacturers, only a small amount is now. I don't know if this is the case, but if anyone is looking for the auctions for a regular supply of leaf, they will probably find an extremely volatile market in terms of price, quality, and type of leaf available from one year to the next. If the supply chains are breaking down, and again, I don't know if this is the case, then maybe it's time for pipe tobacco manufacturers to start casting a broader net to find farmers to work with, either directly or through brokers. There are absolutely growers out there who are willing to grow a high-quality crop as long as the price is right, and many of these growers have excess capacity right now. How do I know this? In the last couple of years, 
one of the major buyers of organic, yes, organic flu-cured tobacco, cut the size of all their growers' contracts by about half. That excess capacity isn't ending up on the auction. It's simply not being grown because the auctions are too volatile for most growers to rely on. While pipe tobacco manufacturers probably aren't interested in organic production as such, the point is these are growers who are willing to put an extra time and effort to produce a crop to a higher specification, and many of them are right now sitting on production capacity that is underutilized. Of course, not all of them will be interested in the, prob in the probably small quantities and maybe only some stock positions that pipe tobacco manufacturers would likely be buying. But some would and would be willing to grow and cure a crop to a specification again, if the price was right. It's worth pointing out here that the farmer gets something like $4 a pound for top quality organic leaf. Compare that to what even a low-end blend costs. Anyway, this probably isn't anything you don't know, but I think a lot of people don't have much awareness of the production end of tobacco these days. Keep up the good work, and if you could find someone who could talk about how pipe tobacco manufacturers source domestic leaf and how that has changed in the last 20 years or so, I think it would be really interesting to hear. Thanks, Matthew. Well, Matthew, you found somebody who kind of knows what's going on. Um, so you're right, the auctions are pretty much gone. In fact, I know of no auctions whatsoever in the state of North Carolina, and we grow about 50% of the domestic tobacco in the U.S. is grown right here in North Carolina. The auctions are gone because the cigarette companies bypassed the auctioneers and the grading and the year-to-year -year volatility of it and went directly to the large growers and said look we'll just give you a flat price contract and i believe the last number i've heard and this could be you know me pulling it out of the department of i'm sitting on it um about a dollar 20 a pound contract guaranteed a dollar 20 a pound and the cigarettes nowadays are are expanded so it's expanded leaf there's dramatically less tobacco per cigarette than there was before so production has dropped dramatically it's almost uh i believe it's like 40 percent of the uh, the the content per cigarette now is 40 percent of what it used to be so imagine 60 percent of the cigarette market disappearing instantly when they went to expanded leaf uh, what i mean by expanded leaf is they take the leaf they put it into a into a big chamber they suck all the oxygen out insert nitrogen and it puffs the leaf up so it takes up more space in the cigarette uh, by doing that and by all the flavoring that they do they don't care about the quality anymore the the quality is gone they don't care about it because it's expanded leaf and they just flavor it to make it taste like what they want now, the real problem is, and you, and you touched on it in this, is that the probably very small market, yes, probably very small is correct. Uh, when you're talking about pipe tobacco produced in the U.S., you're talking about 1.2 million pounds of real pipe tobacco made in the U.S., uh, when you talk about a specific grade like a Red Virginia, you're talking about maybe 10 acres is what it would take to produce a crop for McClelland. And the money's just not there anymore for the growers to do it. They could throw 10 acres of seed out there. They can get $1.20 a pound, or they can throw 10 acres of seed out there, work it real hard, and maybe, maybe get $2 a pound for it. Uh, it's just not the incentive is just no longer there. So here's what happens now. Uh, when good product is found, and it's primarily found by almost by accident, but when a good leaf is found domestically, uh, it's set aside. It's set aside by the large tobacco processors. Not, these are the guys that buy the leaf for the big cigarette companies and then cut it and thrash it and do all that stuff and sell them the leaf itself. That stuff is set aside for some of the pipe tobacco buyers. 
it's it's small production in comparison to cigarettes. Uh, in uh, also in addition to that, with the diminishing U.S. tobacco concerns, it takes years for a con- for another farmer like somebody in Africa to get up to speed or Asia to get up to speed. So there are buyers and there are leaf buyers that are going to these countries and trying to source out all the best Virginias and the best Burleys that they can. Uh, you know, the other thing in there, the, the organic, yeah, I had a feeling, you know, that's uh, pretty sure I know where that's going because there's only one tobacco product that I know out there that is certified organic and it's just not as popular as the regular stuff. So there's a there's my side of it, and it's sad but true that we are in the pipe and tobacco side of it. We're becoming a very um, a very boutique or niche hobby, and you know what? It's uh, things are changing. Um, the other piece of news. So. <laughs> So I've been getting a lot of questions about my favorite, you know, my favorite blend that I never talk about. Well, all right, here it is. And the reason I'm going to tell everybody what it is is because it's no longer available on the market. I didn't tell people what it was for years because I didn't want to influence anybody. Uh, But it's the Blakeney's Best Acadian Ribbon made by McClelland and... I was, according to McClelland, at some points, um, I was about um, a third of the annual sales of that product because it's just not that popular. It wasn't that popular. Um, It was just never quite clicked with anybody else but me. So there were literally years where I was one third of the purchases of that product or that individual tin. Uh, and uh, the good news is I've got a supply for a while. So there you go. Everybody now knows the cat's out of the bag. When I talk about my Virginia Perique that I'm smoking, nine times out of ten, it's uh, the McClellan Acadian, uh, the Blakeney's Best Acadian Ribbon, and I'm the only one in the world that ever really liked it. So sorry. And uh, tax-related rant time next. What the hell is going on over in Singapore? So, uh, remember back we had Levon Eric on and he talked about his trip to Singapore and having to sneak tobacco in there and being worried about it. Well, I got a message on Facebook about, uh, well, it'll be about two weeks ago now from William. And William writes, just wanted to say I love your show and has been very informative. I enjoy every Wednesday morning sitting down on my deck and listening while enjoying my morning pipe and cup of coffee. Being stationed overseas has made the hobby a difficult one, but I have met many new lifelong friends while I've been enjoying a pipe outside a cafe here in Singapore. Keep up the good work and please help me find a replacement for 5100 I spent $10 US, $10 US a gram per gram and was able to get the last five grams in Singapore. $10 per gram. The average pipe, the average bowlful is three to four grams. That's 30 to 40 US dollars per gram. So I got a, I, I had to ask him for clarification on that just to make sure I was right. And he said, yes, that is 10 US dollars per gram. And then the duties and everything that go on it. And, uh, and then he goes on to say uh, the uh, his pipe shop, which is owned by a British gentleman, cannot sell the tobacco in the tins. Everything has to be put into individual baggies with health labels all over it. Uh, and then he sent me a picture of the baggie. So that was a the the packet was 42 us dollars so that was it was about five grams because some of the tobacco there is as cheap as this is where you get this this gets me 
the cheapest tobacco there is $7.60 a gram. Now, you know, there's ways to work around it, small orders and stuff like that. But really, Singapore? I mean, what the hell? You know, okay, a pack of cigarettes there is uh, 20 or 25 U.S. dollars. Um, you know, they're just, anyway... That's one way to really, uh, really, you know, throw off the yoke of colonial suppression and just tax the hell out of your people. So, way to go! Uh, just took uh, just took Singapore off the list of places that I'm ever going to go to. Uh, do uh, please make sure and share the Pipes Magazine radio show around. Let everybody know about it. When you're on iTunes, please leave us a rating or review. And again, if you've got questions or comments, post them on PipesMagazine.com on the radio show page. And uh, next week, I'll be back here home, probably tell you a little bit about my trip, and then we'll start the ramp up to the Chicago Pipe Show. So, thank you to Keith for joining me, thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. Happy trails to Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny Tell me, 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 me